In the year 2003, a movie was released with this opening monologue. You'd never guess the movie, of course. Whenever I get gloomy with the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinions starting to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed, but I don't see that. It seems to me that love is everywhere. Often, it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. That was my impersonation of Hugh Grant. How did I do? Love actually went on to become a much-loved and every Christmas since much-repeated movie on television. It's saccharine and soppy and romantic and idealistic, but also realistic and sad and holds together tragedy and comedy. In the story of Jonah, which is one of those stories where familiarity with it doesn't really do it any favours, we also have a story of tragedy and comedy. We have Jonah, a character who does a good prima donna impression of someone wallowing in self-pity and woe, buttering up God, I know you are a gracious God, he says, and then in the face of God's overwhelming compassion for Nineveh, instead of rejoicing, wants to throw in the towel. Jonah basically goes into a corner and sulks and waits to see what will happen to the city of Nineveh, hoping, of course, that God would smite it and Jonah would feel vindicated. God doesn't smite it, but he does provide Jonah a leafy plant to sit under to provide shade from the beating of the sun. Jonah, we are told, was very happy about the plant, much happier indeed than the prospect of God's compassion being shown to those who Jonah felt didn't deserve it. But just as Jonah was getting rather too comfortable in his self-righteous indignation, God provides a worm who eats the plant and so it withers. Next came a scorching heat, a scorching east wind and blazing sun. And once again, and not for the first time, Jonah wants to throw in the towel. Jonah is angry about the plant withering. He is angry about the wind blowing. He is angry about the sun shining. He is so angry he wants to die. Jonah did nothing for the plant. He didn't put it in the ground. He didn't water it. He didn't tend to it. That's God's response. And yet Jonah was not concerned about that which was vastly more important, the great 
city of Nineveh, and it was one of the great cities of its time. Jonah was becoming a master at majoring on the minor. Missing the big picture, focusing on the trivial, putting his own interests above those of others, demonstrating, it has to be said, a staggering amount of self-absorption and being overwhelmed by his anger, which was stoking his self-righteousness and stifling any sense of love and compassion. Strikingly in this passage about Jonah, there is the absence of love. In particular, absence of love for the enemy, absence of love for the undeserving, and absence of love for a God who freely, abundantly, and indiscriminately pours out his compassion. We have a parallel story in the Gospels. There's a landowner, a vineyard, a pay rate, and workers who start at nine in the morning, noon, three in the afternoon, and five in the evening. Come payday, they are each paid the same rate. Those who started late, the same as those who started early. Those who were last, the same as those who were first. And like Jonah, we have a complaint from those who felt they were more deserving of the landowner's generosity than others. Both stories, in their way, are about compassion. Both stories about generosity. In the parable, we see a different ordering of things. An order not of just deserts, but rather of consideration of what each person needs. What they need to feed a family. What they need to maintain their freedom and dignity. What they need to sustain life as it was created to be by God. The vineyard owner is being generous, abundantly so. And it is a glimpse, if not more than a glimpse, of what life looks like in God's economy, in God's ordering of things, where the world is turned upside down, where the last become first, the poor become rich, the prisoner is set free, the lame walk, the outcasts are invited to the banquet, the king of kings is found as a baby in a manger. The ultimate demonstration of power is found in a crucified Christ, where generosity and forgiveness, grace and love flow abundantly, without restriction, without discrimination, without impediment, and especially, we would want to say, to those whom we think deserve it the least, the last and the lost. This is new life. This is new creation. This is God breaking in and breaking apart the order of things in which we put ourselves and our needs at the centre. This is love. This is love which calls us to renunciate ourselves for the sake of another and to grow in our compassion and love for those who are different to us. Jonah couldn't see past the end of his own nose. 
He couldn't see that Nineveh was as deserving of God's compassion and love as he was. He couldn't see that such compassion, such love, requires action. Action that is both churchly and individual. Churchly because it maintains our focus on the source of our faith. Jonah didn't see that God's compassion was a feature of God himself. That God's overflowing, generous and abundant love was an expression of the love that exists between God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He lost sight of the source of the faith and indeed the one who called him to proclaim it and would equip him to do so. For the Spirit helps us to love the unlovely, to embrace God's new order of things and to do so in community one with another. That's what it means to be baptised in the Spirit, to share this gift of life and of love with others. The Spirit perfects all of creation, enabling the ordinary and especially ordinary life in the human body to be what it is made to be. In recent years, in this country and indeed elsewhere, we have seen so much anger. Some of that anger is born out of anxiety, some out of grief, some out of confusion. But anger, in whatever shape and for whatever reason, almost never allows room for compassion, never gives space for love, never attends to the quiet whisperings of the Spirit, inviting us to find and embrace the new life we have in God. We find instead a collection of petulant Jonas confronted by the mercy of God. We find instead workers of the vineyard whose interests are only their own and are not focused on the greater good, let alone focused on the vineyard's owner's generosity and compassion for all. We will, however, find the last, the least, and the lost near and far in our city, in our community, in our parish, in our home, and maybe even in ourselves. Maybe you know what it is to be last, to be treated the least, and to find yourself lost. If so, these readings today give us great hope, for they show us that the last shall become first, the least shall become the greatest, and the lost shall be found. This is the gospel of Christ. This is an invitation to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. This is the overflowing love and goodness of God for all. Because, you see, this is love, actually. Amen.